Chapter 108 Ahab and the Carpenter The Deck First Night Watch Carpenter, standing before his vice bench, and by the light of two lanterns, busily filing the ivory joist for the leg, which joist is firmly fixed in the vice. Slabs of ivory, leather straps, pads, screws, and various tools of all sorts lying about the bench. Forward, the red flame of the forge is seen, where the blacksmith is at work. Drat the file and drat the bone. That is hard which should be soft, and that is soft which should be hard. So we go. Who file old jaws and shin bones? Let's try another. Aye, now this works better. Sneezes. Hello, this bone dust is... Sneezes. Why, it's... Sneezes. Yes, it's... Sneezes. Bless my soul, it won't let me speak. This is what an old fellow gets now for working in dead lumber. Saw a live tree and you don't get this dust. Amputate a live bone and you don't get it. Sneezes. Come, come, you old smut. There, bear a hand, and let's have that ferrule and buckle screw. I'll be ready for them presently. Lucky now. Sneezes. There's no knee joint to make. That might puzzle a little. But a mere shin bone... Why, it's as easy as making hot poles. Only I should like to put a good finish on. Time, time. If I but only had the time, I could turn him out as neat a leg now as ever. Sneezes. Scrape to a lady in a parlor. Those buckskin legs and calves of legs I've seen in shop windows wouldn't compare at all. They soak water, they do. And, of course, get rheumatic and have to be doctored. Sneezes. With washes and lotions, just like live legs. There, before I saw it off now, I must call his old mogul ship and see whether the length will be all right. Too short, if anything, I guess. Ha, ah, that's the heel. We're in luck. Here he comes. Or it's somebody else. That's certain. Ahab, advancing. During the ensuing scene, the carpenter continues sneezing at times. Well, man-maker? Just in time, sir. If the captain pleases, I will now mark the length. Let me measure, sir. Measured for a leg, good. Well, it's not the first time about it. There, keep thy finger on it. This is a cogent vice thou hast here, carpenter. Let me feel its grip once. So, so, it does pinch some. Oh, sir, it will break bones. Beware, beware. No fear, I like a good grip. I like to feel something in this slippery world that can hold, man. What's Prometheus about there? The blacksmith, I mean. What's he about? He must be forging the buckle screw, sir, now. Right, it's a partnership. He supplies the muscle part. He makes a fierce red flame there. Aye, sir, he must have the white heat for this kind of fine work. Hmm, so he must. I do deem it now a most meaning thing, that that old Greek... Prometheus, who made men, they say, should have been a blacksmith, and animated them with fire. For what's made in fire must properly belong to fire, and so hell's probable. How the soot flies. This must be the remainder the Greek made the Africans of. Carpenter, when he's through with that buckle, tell him to forge a pair of steel shoulder blades. There's a peddler aboard with a crushing pack. Sir, Hold. While Prometheus is about it, I'll order a complete man after a desirable pattern. Imprimis, fifty feet high in his socks. Then chess modeled after the Thames Tunnel. 
then legs with roots to them to stay in one place, then arms three feet through the wrist, no heart at all, brass forehead, and about a quarter of an acre of fine brains. And let me see, shall I order eyes to see outwards? No, but put a skylight on top of his head to illuminate inwards. There, take the order and away. Now, what's he speaking about, and who's he speaking to, I should like to know. Shall I keep standing here? Aside. "'Tis but indifferent architecture to make a blind dome. "'Here's one. "'No, no, no, I must have a lantern. "'Ho, ho, that's it, hey? "'Here are two, sir. "'One will serve my turn. "'What art thou thrusting that thief-catcher into my face for, man? "'Thrusted light is worse than presented pistols. "'I thought, sir, that you spoke to Carpenter. "'Carpenter? "'Why, that's... "'But no!' A very tidy, and I may say an extremely gentlemanlike sort of business thou art in here, carpenter, or wouldst thou rather work in clay? Sir, clay, clay, sir, that's mud. We leave clay to ditchers, sir. The fellow's impious. What art thou sneezing about? Bone is rather dusty, sir. Take the hint, then, and when thou art dead... "'Never bury thyself under living people's noses. "'Sir, oh, I guess so, yes, oh, dear. "'Look, ye carpenter, I dare say thou callest thyself a right good workman-like. "'Workman, eh? "'Well, then, will it speak thoroughly well for thy work, "'if when I come to mount this leg thou makest, "'I shall nevertheless feel another leg in the same identical place with it? "'That is, carpenter, my old lost leg, "'the flesh and blood one, I mean.' Canst thou not drive that old Adam away? Truly, sir, I begin to understand somewhat now. Yes, I have heard something curious on that score, sir, how that a dismasted man never entirely loses the feeling of his old spar, but it will be still pricking him at times. May I humbly ask if it be really so, sir? It is, man. Look, put thy live leg here in the place where mine once was, so now here is only one distinct leg to the eye, yet two to the soul. Where thou feelest tingling life, there exactly there, there to a hair do I. Isn't it a riddle? I should humbly call it a poser, sir. Yes, then. How dost thou know that some entire living, thinking thing may not be invisibly and uninterpenetratingly standing precisely where thou now standest? I. And standing there, in thy spite, in thy most solitary hours, then, dost thou not fear eavesdroppers? Hold, don't speak, and if I still feel the smart of my crushed leg, though it be now so long dissolved, then why mayest not thou, carpenter, feel the fiery pains of hell forever, and without a body? Ha! Ah. Good Lord, truly, sir, if it comes to that, I must calculate over again— I think I didn't carry a small figure, sir. Looky, pudding heads should never grant premises. How long before the leg is done? Perhaps an hour, sir. Bungle away at it, then, and bring it to me. Turns to go. Oh, life, here I am, proud as Greek god, and yet standing debtor to this blockhead for a bone to stand on. Cursed be that mortal inter-indebtedness, 
which will not do away with ledgers. I would be free as air, and I'm down in the whole world's books. I am so rich I could have given bid for bid with the wealthiest Praetorians at the auction of the Roman Empire, which was the world's. And yet I owe for the flesh and the tongue I brag with. By heavens, I'll get a crucible, and into it, and dissolve myself down to one small, compendious vertebra. So. Carpenter, resuming his work. Well, 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 Stubb knows him best of all, and Stubb always says he's queer. Says nothing but that one sufficient little word, queer. He's queer, says Stubb. He's queer, 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 and keeps dinning it into Mr. Starbuck all the time. Queer, sir, queer, queer, very queer. And here's his leg. Yes, now that I think of it, here's his bedfellow. Has a stick of whale's jawbone for a wife. And this is his leg. He'll stand on this. What was that now about one leg standing in three places, and all three places standing in one hell? How was that? Oh, I don't wonder he looks so scornful at me. I'm a sort of strange-thoughted sometimes, they say, but that's only haphazard-like. Then a short little old body like me should never undertake to wade out into deep waters with tall, heron-built captains. The water chucks you under the chin pretty quick, and there's a great cry for lifeboats. And here's the heron's leg, long and slim, sure enough. Now for most folks, one pair of legs lasts a lifetime, and that must be because they use them mercifully, as a tender-hearted old lady uses her roly-poly old coach horses. But Ahab, oh, he's a hard driver. Look, driven one leg to death and spaven the other for life, and now wears out bone legs by the cord. Hello there, you smut. Bear a hand there with those screws, and let's finish it before the resurrection fellow comes a-calling, with his horn for all legs, true or false, as brewery men go round collecting old beer barrels to fill them up again. What a leg this is. It looks like a real live leg, filed down to nothing but the core. He'll be standing on this tomorrow. He'll be taking altitudes on it. Fellow, I almost forgot the little oval slate, smoothed ivory, where he figures up the latitude. So, so, chisel, file, and sandpaper now. Chapter 109 Ahab and Starbuck in the Cabin According to usage, they were pumping the ship next morning, and lo, no inconsiderable oil came up with the water. The casks below must have sprung a bad leak. Much concern was shown, and Starbuck went down into the cabin to report this unfavorable affair. In sperm whalemen, with any considerable quantity of oil on board, it is a regular, semi-weekly duty to conduct a hose into the hold and drench the casks with seawater, which afterwards, at varying intervals, is removed by the ship's pumps. Hereby the casks are sought to be kept damply tight. While, by the changed character of the withdrawn water, the mariners readily detect any serious leakage in the precious cargo. Now, from the south and west, the Pequod was drawing nigh to Formosa and the Bashi Islands, between which lies one of the tropical outlets from the China waters into the Pacific. And so Starbuck found Ahab with a general chart of the Oriental archipelagos spread before him, and another separate one, representing the long eastern coasts of the Japanese islands, Nippon, Matsume, and Soka. 
with his snow-white new ivory leg braced against the screwed leg of his table, and with a long pruning hook of a jackknife in his hand, the wondrous old man, with his back to the gangway door, was wrinkling his brow and tracing his old courses again. "'Who's there?' hearing the footsteps at the door, but not turning round to it. "'On deck, be gone!' "'Captain Ahab mistakes. It is I. "'The oil in the hold is leaking, sir. "'We must up Burton's and break out.' "'Up Burton's and break out? "'Now that we are nearing Japan, "'heave to here for a week to tinker a parcel of old hops. "'Either do that, sir, or waste in one day more oil "'than we may make good in a year. "'What we come twenty thousand miles to get is worth saving, sir.' "'So it is, so it is, if we get it.' I was speaking of the oil in the hold, sir. And I was not speaking or thinking of that at all. Be gone. Let it leak. I'm all a leak myself. Aye, leaks and leaks, not only full of leaky casks, but those leaky casks are in a leaky ship, and that's a far worse plight than the Pequod's man. Yet I don't stop to plug my leak, for who can find it in the deep-loaded hull, or how hope to plug it even if found— "'in this life's howling gale. "'Starbuck, I'll not have the Burtons hoisted. "'What will the owner say, sir? "'Let the owner stand on Nantucket Beach "'and out yell the typhoons. "'What cares, Ahab? "'Owners, owners, thou art always prating to me, Starbuck, "'about those miserly owners, "'as if the owners were my conscience. "'But look ye, "'the only real owner of anything is its commander.' And Harky, my conscience, is in this ship's keel, on deck. Captain Ahab, said the reddening mate, moving further into the cabin, with a daring so strangely respectful and cautious that it almost seemed not only every way seeking to avoid the slightest outward manifestation of itself, but within also seemed more than half distrustful of itself. A better man than I might well pass over in thee what he would quickly enough resent in a younger man. I, and in a happier, Captain Ahab. Devils, dost thou then so much as dare to critically think of me, on deck? Nay, sir, not I. Nay, sir, not yet. I do entreat. And I do dare, sir, to be forbearing. Shall we not understand each other better than hitherto, Captain Ahab? Ahab seized a loaded musket from the rack, forming part of most South Sea's men's cabin furniture, and pointing it toward Starbuck, exclaimed, "'There is one God that is Lord over the earth, and one captain that is Lord over the Pequod, on deck.' For an instant, in the flashing eyes of the mate and his fiery cheeks, you'd have almost thought that he had really received the blaze of the leveled tube— but mastering his emotion, he half calmly rose, and as he quitted the cabin, paused for an instant, and said, "'Thou hast outraged, not insulted me, sir. But for that I ask thee not to beware of Starbuck. Thou wouldst but laugh. But let Ahab beware of Ahab. Beware of thyself, old man.' He waxes brave, but nevertheless obeys. "'Most careful bravery that,' murmured Ahab, as Starbuck disappeared." "'What's that?' he said. "'Ahab, beware of Ahab. "'There's something there.' 
Then unconsciously using the musket for a staff, with an iron brow, he paced to and fro in the little cabin. But presently the thick plaits of his forehead relaxed, and returning the gun to the rack, he went to the deck. "'Thou art but too good a fellow, Starbuck,' he said lowly to the mate. Then raising his voice to the crew, "'Furl the top-gallant sails and close-reef the top-sails fore and aft, back the main-yard, up Burton, and break out in the main hold.' It were perhaps vain to surmise exactly why it was that as respecting Starbuck, Ahab thus acted. It may have been a flash of honesty in him, or mere prudential policy which, under the circumstance, imperiously forbade the slightest symptom of open disaffection, however transient in the important chief officer of his ship. However it was, his orders were executed, and the Burtons were hoisted. Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.